The Nugent Report, the science behind health and nutrition. Welcome to this episode of The Nugent Report, a definitive source for objective information on health and nutrition, featuring Dr. Steve Nugent, the renowned psychologist, author, public speaker, and expert on science, health, wellness, and nutrition. Be sure to visit our website at drnugent.com and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Nugent Report. Hello, my friends. Welcome to another episode of The Nugent Report. I'm Dr. Steve Nugent. In this episode, we are going to conclude our series on vitamin D and magnesium. You may remember in part three of this series, I explained to you the differences between a nutrient deficiency and nutrient inadequacy. That podcast addressed vitamin D, but in this podcast, we'll focus on magnesium. First, we'll address deficiencies. Magnesium deficiency typically needs to become quite severe before a person starts to show any symptoms. One of the many duties of the kidneys is to limit the amount of magnesium that can be excreted at any time. Individuals who are alcohol-dependent or who consume consistently high levels of alcohol are among the first to become magnesium-deficient. Another group that's at risk but rarely gets the attention that they require, in my opinion, are individuals who are using proton pump inhibitors, or PPIs. I've also discussed this previously. These drugs are used to kill the acid-producing pumps in the stomach and are typically prescribed for chronic heartburn and acid reflux. They also contribute very significantly to magnesium deficiency. In my opinion, it's prudent for individuals to supplement magnesium if they're using PPIs chronically. The prescribing physician may or may not be aware of this. Once again, remember the amount of magnesium in your blood is only 1% of the total magnesium, and if that's the only investigation your physician is doing, it's probable that he or she may not know that you need to supplement more magnesium. People with type 2 diabetes, by the way, are also often prone to magnesium deficiencies. If you're in one of these categories, I would advise you to ask your physician if he or she thinks that you should be supplementing magnesium and request the appropriate tests. Ultimately, your health decision should be made jointly between you and your physician. At this point, you might be thinking, how would I know if I'm deficient? What kind of indicators might I look for? Once again, my first recommendation is consult your physician and get the appropriate tests. But there are some indicators that might motivate you to talk to your physician perhaps a little bit sooner. Keep in mind that nutritional biochemistry is not a set of absolutes and symptoms can vary between individuals. Also, having one of the long list of symptoms doesn't confirm that you have a deficiency nor is it necessary for you to have all of the symptoms to confirm that you have a deficiency. So, I'll give you a list of things. Fatigue, 
weakness, nausea, vomiting, loss of appetite. These are all common. And they're common in the early stages of deficiency. The longer the deficiency goes on and the more deficient you become, you may begin to experience symptoms that relate to the nervous system, such as numbness or tingling, or even seizures in extreme cases. Remembering that muscles require magnesium to relax and calcium causes your muscles to contract, you may begin to experience muscle contractions that some people describe as Charlie horses. Muscle cramps may occur if you are deficient in magnesium. Remembering that magnesium is essential to brain health, you may be experiencing personality changes, particularly anxiety. Returning to the idea that your heart is the most important muscle, cardiac arrhythmia may also occur. But once again, as I've cautioned before, cardiac arrhythmia may have several different causes, so consult your physician if your heart is not beating in normal rhythm, and make sure that you get the appropriate tests from that physician. Remember also that magnesium is required for the transport of calcium and potassium. This may result in something called hypocalcemia, which is low calcium, or hypokalemia, which is low potassium. And finally, remember my theory that many people with vitamin D deficiencies actually require magnesium supplementation to solve those deficiencies. There are also several gastrointestinal disorders that can cause chronic diarrhea and fat malabsorption. Individuals who suffer from these conditions may find themselves deficient in magnesium. It's also important to note that individuals who have had gastrointestinal bypass or resection may also become magnesium deficient. As mentioned previously, Magnesium is essential to produce energy through glycolysis. It's also essential to maintain normal, healthy blood sugar through a rather complex set of steps. In type 2 diabetics, depending on the amount of insulin that they are producing, as well as people with insulin resistance, the kidneys may excrete higher than normal amounts of magnesium as a result of these concentrations of glucose in the kidneys. So this can also contribute to magnesium deficiency. According to study, as we age, our intake of magnesium reduces. To compound the problem, typically magnesium absorption decreases and magnesium excretion from the kidneys increases, and these can be significant contributing factors to magnesium deficiency in the elderly. Let's talk about high blood pressure. There are those in the nutritional community that will swear by magnesium for lowering blood pressure. If you study the mechanics, it's very logical to assume that it would have a positive effect on blood pressure. There are some medical studies, however, that show that the effect is small, although positive. Why is there a difference? A study is only as good as its design. And as I've mentioned before, 
and will no doubt say often in the future, garbage in, garbage out. That's a common phrase taught to new information technology students in college. It applies to scientific study as well. You can have a brilliant researcher. The researcher may be a master of statistics, but if that researcher begins with a design or begins with information which is flawed, then their testing method is going to be flawed. They will end up with a flawed result. Since magnesium is an intracellular mineral and only 1% of your body's total magnesium is found in serum, the studies that are measuring serum magnesium as their only gauge for change have already sacrificed the possibility of having complete data and virtually in none of those cases with any researchers I've spoken with were they aware that there are better ways to test for magnesium including what I've previously discussed regarding red blood cell magnesium tests. So, whenever I look at a study on magnesium absorption, the first thing I look at is their testing method. There are many forms of magnesium available for supplementation as well, and that can also affect the results of a scientific study. Some forms of magnesium supplements are not well absorbed, while others have almost astounding absorption rates. Sometimes, when there's a lack of solid data, assumptions are made based on correlation. As an example, patients using proton pump inhibitors for acid reflux may become deficient in magnesium over time. However, we must also factor in that they are continuing to age as well. This means that their ability to efficiently digest is almost certainly decreasing with age at the same time. So we need to separate the reduction in magnesium absorption due to age factors versus reduction in magnesium absorption due to acid reflux drugs or magnesium absorption as it's known in various forms of magnesium dietary supplements. All these variables have to be considered. In the beginning of this series of podcasts on magnesium and vitamin D, we of course started speaking about osteoporosis. Most people, when you say bone health, the reflex response is to think calcium. However, as we have previously covered, magnesium is required to transport calcium ions to the bone, and magnesium is also required for the conversion and utilization of vitamin D. So, this brings us back to the beginning. Scientific studies are quite expensive, and there has to be a significant motivation to spend that money. This is why there are more studies on drugs than there are on nutrients. It's also why some nutrients have very few studies. Women all over the planet have been thoroughly psychologically conditioned to believe that they need more calcium for bone health and most of them have no idea that other nutrients are required. There are many studies on calcium and bone health, but many fewer on magnesium and bone health. One notable study done on postmenopausal women 
showed that adding 290 milligrams a day of magnesium in the form of magnesium citrate chelate suppressed bone cell turnover as compared to the placebo. What does that mean in plain language? It means that this is an indicator of supplemental magnesium decreasing bone loss in postmenopausal women. By the way, calcium citrate chelate is not as well absorbed as some other forms of calcium, so the numbers in this study, had they used a different, better absorbed form of calcium, might have been much stronger. Remember, garbage in, garbage out. Finally, let's end this segment about magnesium by talking about the potential toxicity if you take too much. Throughout my career, I've been asked the same common questions when talking about dietary supplements. What do I take? How much do I take? How long will it take for me to get results? I'm also asked questions about safety on a pretty regular basis. Among those questions is, how much is too much? Magnesium toxicity is quite rare. Toxic effects of magnesium are typically experienced in doses greater than 5,000 milligrams per day. That's for people with normal kidney function. But for those with impaired kidney function, symptoms of toxicity may come at much lower amounts. Well, my friends, this concludes the series on vitamin D and magnesium. I hope you found this information useful, and I hope you will apply it to your personal health program. Until next time, be safe, be sensible, be objective. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nugent Report. Visit our website at drnugent.com for more objective facts about health and nutrition and email your questions and feedback to info at drnugent.com. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Nugent Report. Stay informed. Get the facts with The Nugent Report.